0: So over the past several weeks, we've been embarking on this journey of exploring Ephesians. And although we've only covered uh, the first eight verses, I hope that you've been encouraged. Uh, You know, yes, it sounds like, wow, you've only covered eight verses in several weeks. But I'm just amazed by the blessings that um, we've gained or the better understanding of the blessings that we have as believers And before you turn to Ephesians, I'll just say don't. Uh, (laughs) We're not going there today. Um, But I did want to just touch on it because I I thought, you know, what an amazing thing that we have as believers, just the blessings of God. And, you know, we've only touched on a few of them. um, And so here would be my encouragement. If you've missed any of the sermons over the last few weeks where we've been going through this, or you just want to review Go to portviewchurch.com and listen to the podcasts. They were just great encouragements uh, over the last few weeks. So we are going to take a short break um, from the Book of Ephesians, and um, so again, I apologize to those who already turned there. Uh, we're going to go somewhere else. Um, you know, I've just but I've just been so enjoying hearing those blessings again, those reminders that say, you know what as a believer, I'm an adopted and chosen child of God. You know, how powerful that is to know that we've been chosen by God. And last week was just wonderful, that reminder that we've been redeemed, that that price was paid for us to buy us out of that bondage of sin that we all find ourselves in, or did find ourselves in, that we are set free from that and we have forgiveness. But one of the things that I think as I reflect on those services, I've thought also, you know, Pastor Mark has reiterated quite a few times, this is something, those blessings are unique to the believer, right? That these are things that only the believers have. And so then it makes me think, you know what? For an unbeliever, that really stinks. Let's just be real. You know, you know that's not a good place to be. That you have not yet found that place of being chosen or redeemed or having your sins forgiven. And the Bible talks a lot of this uh, where the unbeliever is considered lost, right? And so we're going to take a little bit of a look at that idea this morning, or at least an angle on it. So here's where you can turn. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, uh, we're going to take a look at a couple of parables that Jesus uh, spoke about um, to, to kind of get across the point. Now, as we start to talk about being lost, has anyone ever lost a child for a short period of time? Right? It's okay. Whether they were yours or someone else's, there's no condemnation or guilt. It happens to a lot of people. Good parents, not so good parents. And it's one of those things where I feel like it's happened to us a lot, (laughs) You know, nothing, it's nothing huge. It's nothing where we're having to call out 911 or anything like that. I thank the Lord for that. But our kids like have always liked to run ahead. You know, we'll be anywhere. And they're running way ahead of us and, uh, you know, we'll be in the store. And they like to go around the corner so you can't quite see them anymore or hide in the clothes racks. You know, what's more fun than hiding in the clothes racks at Target or Walmart, right? So we have those extra moments of wondering where they are, and I always hope to myself, please tell me I'm not one of those crazy people yelling at their kids that you hear halfway across the store or anything like that. Most of them are harmless moments that we've had, at least. Um, They didn't last long at all. But one that sticks out in my mind is when we were at State Fair. Um, So you picture, you know, on a daily basis, you're anywhere between 75 and 100,000 people at State Fair, um, and we were there. I think Elise was seven, Kaylee was probably five, and Micah was around two, so we had the stroller, and, and we're going around, and we were there with my in-laws, um, and it was kind of an annual tradition earlier on when the kids were young, and we had just stopped at one of those larger intersections of the fair, you know, where you've got major hubs um, going from one place to the next, and. I don't remember if we had just eaten or we were about to go eat and we were trying to figure what our next steps were. And so we were at this intersection and everyone's with us. And then we figure out where we're going and all. So we start heading off and, you know, a few seconds into the walk, you, you do just kind of the random head count and check. And all of a sudden I notice, where's Kaylee? Where's Kaylee? Where did she go? So it was just a few seconds, but. Immediately, the parental sonar goes up, you know, like you're looking all around, scanning and, and wondering where in the world did she go, and there's just that slight wave of panic that starts to build a little bit, okay, it's, it's not like I can just go around the corner and look and, oh, you're just looking at the Barbies or something, no, you, you start to look around and, and wonder, and you're trying to find the little head that you, you knew, right, little girl with pigtails and some colored shirt, probably purple uh, at that point in time. And the heart starts to beat a little harder and the stomach's starting to quiver. And I, walk, I go back to where we started and looking around and nothing. And you're scanning every head high and low. And you know, you're doing the arching and just looking wherever you can. Finally, I spot her. Finally, I can get to her. You got to weave through the masses of people and and you're yelling, and you know, don't go that way anymore. And but it's that relief then when I did find her that okay, she's safe, but then even just that next step further of okay, let's at least hold hands or put my arms around her and say everything's okay, you're fine, we're all safe, you know, yes, don't walk away, but I'm glad you're back. And I think knowing that she was safe and that nothing would happen to her was a great sense of relief, right? If you've ever been in those situations, it's just, you're back, fine, don't ever do that again, but you're back, you're fine, all is good, right? So these moments can leave you with a pit in your stomach, but it was happily replaced when she was back with us, when she was back to where she needed to be. So let's read Luke 15 here, and we're going to see some similar things regarding lost items or, or people and We're going to read the entire chapter because I think we're going to be able to see some key points being repeated. So bear with me as we go through this all. All right. Luke chapter 15 says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them? does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, "'Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back and safe and sound.' But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, "'Look,' For so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth and with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost And has been found. So in this chapter that we just read, Jesus told three different parables in response to a situation, right? The Pharisees and scribes are upset because Jesus is receiving or welcoming sinners into his group. In many of our Bibles we'll see headings for each of these parables, right? A lot of our Bibles will say something like the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost or prodigal son. But notice that these parables speak more about the ones to whom the lost things belonged. Right? We don't get a full description of the sheep or the coin. We get a little description on the son. But it speaks more about the shepherd. It speaks more about the woman who lost the coin. It speaks more about the father, those who lost their their possessions or their family members. And through this, I think we get a huge revelation of our Heavenly Father's heart. And as believers who are trying to imitate our Father more and more, this is where our heart ultimately needs to be, I think, that hopefully our attitude and our perspective become more and more like His each and every day. So one of the first things that we notice is that the Father searches diligently for the lost. In the first parable, the shepherd is likely doing his nightly count of the sheep. They've been out grazing all day, and they come back, getting them into the pen. And he's going through the routine of making sure that all his sheep are back. I can imagine that he goes through his count, and he, as they're coming in, and he completes the first count, he probably says to himself, 99, wait, I must have dozed off while counting the sheep. Let me try counting again. So he goes through a more detailed count making sure that he's alert and aware of every sheep, that no one gets double counted, no one gets missed. And when he gets through the second count and still only reaches 99, he realizes that one of the sheep is lost, that he must go out and search high and low for that sheep. We, we can't leave any sheep behind under his watch. That will not happen. So he leaves the 99 safe ones behind, and he searches diligently for that one lost sheep. We go on to the second parable and we see that the woman who lost the coin is in a similar scenario. In her household, she may manage the family finances. We don't know. Perhaps she's going to be making a grocery run the next day. She's got to hit Costco and Aldi and Piggly Wiggly and make sure that the ten silver coins make it all the way, right? She's going to need all ten to get everything that her family needs. So probably by chance, she just takes the time that evening before and says, let me just make sure everything's in order. I've got my list. I've got all my money. She's counting her coins, but she's only has nine. She says, I know it's got to be here somewhere, right? We go through this. And so she lights a lamp in order to illuminate the house completely. She's searching every square inch of her home. She's looking under the dressers. She's sweeping out the dust bunnies behind the refrigerator She's digging through the trash just in case it dropped there. She does whatever it takes so that she can find it. Because she needs it. It's lost. It's gone. She needs to get that back. And she knows it's around. And I think our Heavenly Father does the same for us, right? In fact, he's already sought us out when he sent his son Jesus. In Luke 19.10, Jesus tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came knowing that we were separated and that we were lost, and he came to to earth. His sole purpose was to come and to call out for us, to search for us, to bring us back. And he's still looking for every single lost person today. He's seeking to bring them back to the Father, to restore the relationship that's been damaged. And the reason that the shepherd and the woman are searching so diligently reveals a second truth about the Father, And the father sees devastating consequences ahead if they remain lost. The situation isn't going to be good if they remain lost. The shepherd knows what could happen to that one sheep which is lost. He's already got all of these scenarios playing out in his mind, knowing that if I don't get that sheep back, it's not going to end well. That sheep could keep wandering and get to a place where there's no more grass, which would then mean that it won't be able to graze anymore and would likely starve and die. could fall into a ravine. It could get stuck in between some rocks and then also starve to death. Or predators could find this lone sheep and devour it, ripping it to shreds. And you know this is where it's going to go, but obviously this could be bad. Yes. We've got to throw a groaner in there once in a while. Just make sure you're awake. All right, good. Glad to see that worked. All right, the woman also realizes... Yeah, everyone's shaking their heads. The woman realizes that losing one of her coins is going to be a huge deal as well. Back then, this was likely worth a day's wages. So one coin lost represents one day of work. That's a huge deal to a family. Um, and it could prevent her from getting all of the food that she needs for her family. mean that she maybe... Maybe it's something different. Maybe she needs that money to pay off a loan. In any case, she knew that not finding the coin would have a dramatic impact on her household. And then in the third parable, we notice a father who's worried about what has happened or could be happening to his son as he's in a distant land. In verse 20, we read that the son got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. Because this third parable is about a son rather than possessions or things, we don't see that the father is necessarily out there looking for the son. But I do get the sense that the father has been extremely concerned about his son's well-being. That he's, you know, I, I sit and wonder, do you think that he was sitting by the window just kind of watching and waiting, wondering if he'd ever get a glimpse of his son again? If he was pacing the house, just contemplating, where is my son? How is he doing? Is he even still alive? He knows his son has gone off to a far land, that his son is old enough to make his decisions, but he also knows that his son most likely left the nest in order to live a wild and, and party lifestyle. So the father hopes that he's okay. But in some Stretch, he probably fears the worst, knowing that his son could be in a world of hurt. Makes me think of parents of of teenagers. Makes me, thinks, makes me think of parents of teenagers, right? We're getting to that stage in life where uh, our children are, are going to, you know, they're going to go out with their friends and, and things like that. Um, but I remember um, my parents always saying, it just isn't right until you're back home. Not that you're doing anything bad or wrong, but it's just having everyone back in the roost is a good thing. You know, just hearing that they're safe, hearing that they're, they're back home brings comfort to parents. So teenagers, just be aware. Your parents do worry. And even when they give you a good curfew and you're there on time, they worry. Parents, we worry about our children. We want to make sure that they're safe. And it's not even so much that they're making bad decisions, but you're, out, you're worried about the other guy, right? Like, what's that guy going to do? Um, because he's not thinking or she's not got her head on straight. They worry about the what-if scenarios. And I think that in the same way, God, our Heavenly Father, watches and waits and he yearns to be reunited with his lost children, I can only imagine that he suffers deeply as he waits for a lost child to return home to him. He agonizes until he can wrap his arms around his son or daughter who is lost. His heart's broken because he foresees the final consequences of a child who is lost. Eternal separation. A final, eternal, permanent separation for that lost child. In Luke 15, we'd see this word lost show up several times. But in other areas of the New Testament, that same Greek root word is translated as things like destroyed, perished, dying. And I think that gives an even greater picture that the state of the lost is one that will be tragic. That they will be destroyed forever. That they'll be lost. They'll be perishing forever. And God doesn't want that. God doesn't want any single one of his created children to be destroyed or lost eternally. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. He wants every single one of us on this planet to know Him, to follow Him, to have a relationship with Him, one that is good and vibrant and that we just walk with Him each and every day. And just as He does not want any person to to be lost, our hearts and attitudes should have a similar burden for those who are currently lost. We should be doing what we can to prevent any one person from perishing eternally. Because really, our attitude should be the complete opposite of the Pharisees that we read about at the very beginning, right? In verse 2, we read that they were actually grumbling and muttering because Jesus was accepting sinners to join him, even eating with him. You see, they didn't like that because they wanted to keep the saved people as an exclusive group. You know, don't let everyone in. In their mind it was kind of one of those, how dare he let those undesirable people in the group? You know, and and they actually had set up a system where they avoided people who were outwardly sinful. They cared very little for lost people because it needed to be an exclusive group. And I have to say that after rereading this again this hit me hard because i know i grew up kind of with that idea and that mentality of church was for saved people church was for those who believed and we were an exclusive group and oh they're not saved so i can't associate with them too much and i have to repent And say, that's not the attitude that I need to have. I need to be having interactions with saved and unsaved alike. Believers and unbelievers alike. And it wasn't a thing that I didn't want the lost to find Jesus. But it was one that I just didn't actively pursue that. That wasn't something that I was going to outwardly go and do. But I think as I've grown hopefully matured a little bit in the Lord, that that's an area that I know that I need to do better and better each and every day, that I want my heart to be more and more in line with the Father's, that he goes out and he searches diligently because he sees the devastating consequences. I read a story of a man whose four-year-old went missing uh, for about an hour. Um, He and the people that were with him searched frantically during that time. They were on a university campus. Uh, for whatever reason and she had just kind of slipped away as children do and as as he reflected on that time he said this when my daughter was lost i wanted everyone everywhere to drop what they were doing and help me find her it was inconceivable to me that anyone especially those i loved most would be able to rest until she was safely found And I think that God has a similar desire for us, his church, that he wants every one of us to be out there helping to find the lost children. He's looking for us to help in that effort, to be his light, to be his love, to be his hands of mercy and grace everywhere that we go. And as believers, hopefully we have an increasing burden for the lost, to find them, to help them find Jesus to help them get that restored relationship and that we would be actively pursuing them. We each are in places that the pastoral staff is not going to be able to get to. We each work in different places, we each go to school in different places, we each interact with different people on daily, weekly, monthly bases that pastors and clergy people are not ever going to really be able to reach. So it's incumbent upon all of us to be able to get out there and to pursue the lost. Hopefully, he continues to transform our hearts and lives more and more so that we do have that burden and that desire to see every lost person come to know him. In Luke 15:2, we see that Jesus welcomed and received sinners. He involved himself with them, even eating with them. And now it's our turn. As a church, we too should welcome and accept sinners. Here's a quick side note, because I want to make this very clear, that even though Jesus welcomed and accepted sinners, he never minimized or compromised the sin. Just because we're welcoming them and accepting them doesn't mean that we lose our stance on what is sin and what is right and wrong before God. But we also need to have that discernment and that judgment to love them and help them along, So that as God reveals himself to them and they make those steps, God's going to deal with them about not only the sin that they've already done, but the things that they may be continuing to do, right? So we never compromise on sin, but we accept and welcome the sinner. We want to love them, bring them in, and help them to get to a relationship with Christ. There's a church in Milwaukee around 86th and Good Hope, and we used to drive by it all the time. Uh, when we lived in that area, and it just communicates in neon letters, sinners are welcome here. That's, I think, a great attitude and a perspective for us to have. Because the flip side is that we become like Gandalf who says, you shall not pass, right? That's not a good attitude to have. Let's be the ones that say sinners are welcome here. We love you. We're going to help you along the way. We're going to extend our arms of love on Christ's behalf. So now we get to, notice I said get to, we now get to involve ourselves with sinners. Let's truly be people who care, right? So that maybe, just maybe, they'll see God's love through us. They'll see how God transforms people's lives, how he changes them, how what they were, is well in the past and now they've become someone completely different because of christ and perhaps they'll return home to their heavenly father which then keeps them from perishing eternally from being destroyed and lost forever so we've seen that the father searches diligently for the lost and that he sees devastating consequences for the lost and now we see a third truth about the father that when the lost are found, he celebrates dramatically. In each of these parables, we see dramatic, perhaps excessive celebrations when the lost thing or person is found. When the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he calls all of his friends and neighbors and says, let's celebrate because I found the one sheep that was lost. Similarly, the woman calls all her friends and neighbors when she finds the coin she had lost some ways, I kind of read that and think, really? You're going to throw a party over finding a coin? But it's that idea that when one lost person or thing comes back, we're going to have a party, right? The father celebrates and rejoices the event when his son, the prodigal son, returns home. He kills the fattened calf, and they just have a ginormous feast. Verse 24 says, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. That's reason to celebrate. And Jesus tells us that this is how the heavenly father responds when the lost are found. Verse 7 says that there will be more joy in heaven when one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When one lost person comes back to the Father, the joy in heaven cannot be contained. Verse 10, Jesus reemphasizes this when he says, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Not only is God filled with joy, but also the angels of heaven. They all just rejoice. It is a great celebration and party. And I picture it like this, that... It's God the Father. It's all of the angels. They're celebrating. The atmosphere is electric. I can just imagine them, you know, you think of a great celebration. They're probably dancing and cheering and and having a good time. Can you imagine them maybe doing, like, the heavenly cha-cha slide? Like, slide to the left. Slide to the right. And then everybody flap your wings, you know? Something like that. They're all just rejoicing and having an amazing celebration for one. For one who returns to the Father. For one who repents of his sin and begins to walk with the Father. And as believers, we too should rejoice and celebrate when one sinner repents. Right? That should bring excitement to our lives when we get to see one person come to that saving knowledge of Christ that they've received the mercy and grace of the Father. When one who is lost is now found. When one who was dead now begins to live again. We should have great joy when this happens. And I think it's twofold, because on one hand, it should remind us of the day when we received his salvation. That it's that ever-present reminder that God's extended his grace to each one of us. But then on the other hand, we should celebrate because it's not just about us. It's about someone else who's now found that same realization that God loves them and that he wants to be with them each and every day. So they've returned home to their father and are starting a renewed relationship with him. So I think if we can begin to mirror the father's heart, We begin to seek diligently for those who are lost, who need the presence of the Lord in their lives each and every day. Because we're seeing the devastating consequences of a life without Christ. Not only in this life, but more importantly, in the life to come. But I think what's exciting is that when we've been doing those things, when we've been seeking diligently for them, and seeing how God would use us in that way, and then they do come to know Christ, we can celebrate dramatically. Would you stand with me as we, as we close? <sighs> Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, and we rejoice for the salvation that we may already have by your grace for those of us who are believers, that we have that restored relationship with you. And so we stop and we just say thank you for your grace, that you have redeemed us, that you have forgiven us of all of our sins. And Lord, we thank you that through this example and through these parables, that you have a heart for the lost, that you have a heart to reach out to where each one of us, your created ones, are. And that as we reflect on these parables, I pray that you would just pour out your heart to us, that we would catch a greater glimpse of your heart for people, that we would be struck with your heart for those who are lost all around us, the people sitting in the cubicle next to us, the people that we meet in in the grocery store or as we're out doing different things. And that we would feel and that we would understand your heart that is broken for them, for those who are lost. That we would see the devastating consequences of a life without you. That we would hear you and we would respond as you lead us in your mission to bring them back. Lord, I pray that it would compel us to listen to your voice. To hear when you are wanting us to just share your love. Maybe it's just a quick, simple thing. Maybe it's spending a good deal of time with someone because you are leading us to and you're wanting to do something in their lives. Let us truly be people who care, Lord, we pray. Let us be ones who are concerned about sinners those who are lost and Lord that we would be people who welcome them in accept them as they are never compromising sin but accepting them and loving them and helping them along the way so that your truth would be revealed your gospel message would be understood and that when they do find you at some point we would celebrate dramatically with them that it wouldn't be just an oh that's nice but that we would be ecstatic for what you have done in someone's life and that all the glory and the honor would be yours. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Today you might be here and you may say to yourself that I've not yet returned to my Heavenly Father, that right now you've not repented of your sins, that you're living in a way that would leave you in a lost state today I want to give you an opportunity to come back to the Father. To receive His love and His grace. And know that these are not things that you could ever earn. That you could never do enough good things to achieve it. But that they are gifts that He sets out for us. And He watches and He's waiting and He's yearning for you to accept Him to accept his gift of grace. And when you do, he wraps his strong, loving arms around you, welcoming you back as his son or his daughter. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, and you want to return to your Father, maybe for the first time, maybe again, to repent of your sins and begin a new life with him, Would you just slip up your hand as a sign that that's you, that today you want to return to your Father to know His love once again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we do just thank you for your people here today. We thank you that you've brought us here. Lord, I again just pray that you would help us to reflect your heart toward the lost, toward those who are without you at this point in their lives. Let us be diligent in, in seeking them out and just being your vessels, your instruments to show your love. pray that you would be with us as we continue on from here. Let your word just continually be in our minds and in our hearts. Let your spirit just be poured out in our lives. Pray that you would be with us as we leave this place. May we just go in your presence and carry your light with us wherever we go. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this time that we've had together. We pray that you would be with us now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. If anyone would like prayer, the altars will be open. Uh, Myself, others will be here to pray with you. Otherwise, go in the Lord. Have a great day.